You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with our host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on the show, Pat will be continuing a series dealing with a wide variety of different questions that Christians ask. If you're unable to hear this entire study, keep in mind all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Let's tune in. Here's Pat with today's study. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to today's challenges. We've been going through our series on questions about salvation, answering some of the most difficult questions people ask regarding salvation or salvation theology called soteriology. Well, the next questions we are addressing are these. Is Jesus the only way to eternal life? And what about those who have never heard the gospel. Is God right in judging them and sending them to hell? Those are two of some of the most difficult questions that we are going to address. I was confronted with these questions early on. As a believer in Christ, I was the first in my family, in fact, in my entire clan, to come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I remember going to many of the Buddhist funerals of my family members And being told that without Christ, they are eternally separated from God forever, quarantined in a place called hell. And that shocked me. And I thought, really? You mean to say that I'm the only one going to eternal life and all my forefathers who have died before me are eternally separated from him? How can that be? And I wrestled with that question for quite a long time. And many of us who are first-generation Christians in our families, no loved ones who have died without Christ, And the thought of them being eternally separated from him is a very difficult issue to address here. Well, what does the Bible say? Is Jesus the only way to eternal life or are there other ways? Well, I have written on this in my book, God, Eternity and Spirituality, and also in my apologetics book, unless I see and give an extensive treatment to this question. So I'll just address it briefly here, but if you want a more thorough answer, you can find those in my books or in my articles on the website at evidenceandanswers.org, or you can look up, is Jesus the only way, and find a more extensive treatment here. Well, according to the Bible, Jesus makes it clear that he is indeed the only way to eternal life. One of the clearest passages there comes in John chapter 14. Here Jesus is addressing his disciples and gives them some sad news that he is going to go away. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you? But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas then asked the question we all want to know. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And in verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here in verse 6, Jesus makes it very clear. He is the only way to eternal life. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and emphatically states, no one comes to the Father, no one gets to heaven in the presence of God the Father, except through me. Here Jesus makes it very clear. He is the only way to eternal life. Eternal life comes in a relationship with the divine Son of God. 
And there's only one Son of God, according to John 3.16, and it's Jesus Christ. And it's only through the one and only Son of God one can have eternal life with God the Father. Jesus did not say, I'm one of many ways. Jesus said, I am the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4.12, Peter, preaching his famous message, re-emphasizes what Jesus taught. In verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter doesn't say there are others by which we may be saved. He says, no, there is no one else. There is no other name by which we must be saved. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is only one mediator, not many, just one, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. So throughout the Bible, it teaches that there's only one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ. So there are several passages throughout Scripture that show that really Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Now, not only does Scripture teach that, look at the urgency of the apostles to go into all the world to preach the gospel. They gave their lives to go throughout the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that all of them suffered, were persecuted, and the majority of them died for their preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, why is that urgency there if there are other ways to salvation? It doesn't make any sense for that urgency, for them giving their lives to go throughout the world and share the gospel if there are other ways to eternal life. If there are other ways, perhaps it's better these people don't hear the gospel. But for them, they, they wouldn't be accountable for responding to the gospel. But the urgency of the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel shows that they understood there's only one message and one Savior of the world, and that message indeed needs to get out. Next, you need to understand God's character. God is just and God is holy, and there can be no sin in his presence. 1 John 1.5 states, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So God is absolutely perfect in, in his holiness, and before God there can be no sin. So we need to understand the character of God, but also we need to understand the character of man. As the Bible teaches in Genesis chapter 3, that Adam and Eve sinned, and as a result their sinful nature has been passed down to all of mankind. Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of God's perfect standard. We are all sinners. We have a sinful nature inherited all the way back to the days of creation, Genesis chapter 3. So there is no way that a sinful human being can stand in the presence of a perfect and holy God. The only way that we can have eternal life in order to stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God, as Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 5, we must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, can that be? That's an impossible standard for us. There's no way sinful human beings can be perfect as God is perfect. That's an impossible standard there. The only way, then, that one can stand before God and attain that standard is to have their sin 
completely paid for and their slate wiped clean. And there's no one who is perfect who could pay the price for our sin except the perfect God-man, one who is 100% man, and therefore he can die in our place as our kinsman redeemer, but also as God. Therefore, he can be sinlessly perfect as God is perfect. And there's only one person who can fulfill God's holiness and justice as our pure sacrifice as a human being, but also without sin, and that's Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. No one else can fulfill and meet God's justice and fulfill God's holiness. No other religious leader, not Muhammad, nor Buddha, or anyone else can meet that perfect standard. Only God's Son, Jesus Christ, can. No other individual or teaching can allow us to meet that standard. So when you understand God's character and our sinfulness, then you realize there's really no way man can attain his own salvation. There must be a sacrifice, someone who paid the price for our sin that we could stand before perfect and holy and righteous God. And it's only Jesus who fulfills those requirements. No other person or religious leader or ideology can. Therefore, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Now, the other world religions present another message of salvation. Buddhism teaches self-enlightenment. Hinduism teaches self-enlightenment or by devotion to one of the 30 million gods of Hinduism. And according to the Bible, there's only one God, creator of all things. And so these other gods would be false gods and none of them can attain or can bring salvation, can pay the price of sin and bring us into the presence of a holy God. They are powerless to do so. And the vast majority, if not all of them, are indeed fictional characters of mythology. Islam teaches that salvation comes by obeying the teachings of the Quran and the Islamic law and following the path of the prophet Muhammad. Well, Muhammad clearly was a sinner. In the Quran, he's taught several times to repent and turn from his sin. And if you study the life of Muhammad, you'd be hard-pressed to show that, indeed, this was a sinless prophet. The Quran clearly states that Muhammad was a sinner and called him to repentance. And Islam teaches by obeying the five pillars of Islam and the articles of faith that hopefully one can earn their salvation into paradise. Well, that's contrary to the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So since other religions teach another way to salvation, it contradicts the teaching and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the law of non-contradiction states opposites cannot be true at the same time and in the same way. So since these other religions teach contrary ways of salvation and messages contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore, they cannot be true. And how do we know the message of Christ is true? Well, Jesus claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed his claim through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. No other person in the history of the world made those kinds of claims and confirmed them through miracles as Jesus did. No other person prophesied and accomplished their own resurrection from the dead. God confirms his message and messengers 
through acts of God or miracles, and Christ confirmed his message through his miraculous sinless life, death, and resurrection, thus confirming his claim to be the only way to eternal life. Now, having presented our case that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, naturally comes the second question. Well, what about those who never had a chance to hear the gospel? Is God just in sending them, condemning them to eternal separation from him, even though they never had a chance to hear the gospel? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 1. Now, God speaks in two primary ways, through what we call general revelation, and secondly, through what we call special revelation. Special revelation is God's revealed message through his son, Jesus Christ, and his word, the Bible. General revelation is how God speaks through creation and through the conscience. Now, everyone has the witness of what we call general revelation. Creation around us every day points to the creator. Paul writes here in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that all are without excuse. Paul says here that man has the witness of creation around him every day, and through creation you can come to understand the character and the nature of God. So creation every day points to a creator. Psalm 19 states, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. So creation is every day pointing to a creator. It's not possible to study the created world around you and not to conclude there's an intelligent creator out there. Second, Romans chapter 2 speaks of the witness of the conscience that has been implanted in every human being. Verse 15 of chapter 2 speaks of the Gentiles who do not have the law, but indeed do the things of the law. Verse 15 says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So every person has what's called the conscience, the written law upon their hearts. And the conscience tells us there is a universal moral law which we are called to obey. And every culture demonstrates that. In every culture, murder is wrong, adultery is wrong, stealing is wrong. Where does that universal moral law code come from? It must come from a moral lawgiver, a personal God. So the witness of general revelation is with every man and every woman. They have the witness of creation and the conscience. And every day, those two are pointing to indeed the creator of the universe. Now, when men and women acknowledge general revelation, then God is responsible to bring special revelation, the gospel, to them. So when men and women look at creation and say there must be a creator behind this, and they acknowledge the conscience, the moral law within them, and they say there must be a God, I want to know this God. When they acknowledge general revelation like that, then God is responsible to bring special revelation to them. And he does so primarily through his word, through missionaries, perhaps through the radio or through the media, or in some cases, I believe, through a special means, perhaps an angel or through a dream or vision. He brings the special message of salvation to them. General revelation, the creation and the conscience alone do not save a person. It just points them in the right direction. 
It's special revelation. They need the message of the gospel in order to be saved. So when men and women acknowledge general revelation, then God brings them special revelation. We see that in the scriptures. When there were Gentiles who acknowledged general revelation, God brought special revelation to them. For example, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is a Roman captain. Yet he is a man who feared God and acknowledged the witness of general revelation. Well, God spoke to Cornelius in a dream and he said, send men to Joppa to go get a guy named Peter. Peter's meditating on a roof and he says, there's Romans coming for you. Please go with them. And so Paul and Cornelius and his family meet Peter is escorted by Cornelius' men, and they meet. Peter presents the gospel to Cornelius, and as a result, Cornelius and his family receive the gospel and the gift of salvation. So there is an example where men acknowledge general revelation, and as a result, God brings special revelation to them through the apostle Peter. And we see that throughout the New Testament, and we also see that in the Old Testament, and we see that even today. When men and women, no matter where they may be, in the jungles of Africa or Southeast Asia, I hear numerous stories. When they acknowledge general revelation and believe there is a God and they want to know this creator, then God brings special revelation to them, mostly through the word of God or through missionaries, but sometimes in special ways through miraculous events, perhaps an angel or or vision, bringing them the special revelation of God that leads to salvation. For further treatment on that, you can read my articles at evidenceandanswers.org or in one of my books, Unless I See, or God, Eternity, and Spirituality, where I give a full treatment of them. Now, here's the situation that many of us face. Well, what do you say to a man or a woman whose loved one has died and we do not know whether they receive the gospel or not? What do we say to those who have lost loved ones who perhaps we feel did not have a chance to hear the gospel. What do we say? I've been to many funerals and I've had to speak at many funerals where loved ones have passed away and those who remain wonder whether they're saved or not. And many times ask me the question, you know, they grew up in a foreign country and they didn't have a chance to hear the gospel. What do you say at moments like those? Well, in situations like that, you don't want to give false hope, nor do you want to compromise the message of Jesus Christ. One thing I make clear is that, well, eternal life is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's only through him that we have eternal life. So I don't compromise on the message there, nor do I want to give false hope. However, I do state this. God is gracious and God is just. He wants all men to be saved. And perhaps maybe in those last moments, they did acknowledge and receive Jesus and cried out to God in those last moments. You know, my father received Christ three days before he passed away. So we don't know what happened in those last moments. Perhaps in those last moments, they cried out to Christ and received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Perhaps they did hear the message of the gospel. I've been surprised many times when I've been sharing with unbelievers, many times in foreign countries or those who have come from foreign countries, and I share with them the gospel of Christ thinking they've never heard it before only to find out somewhere early in their childhood or somewhere down the road, they did hear the message of the gospel of Christ and end up explaining it to me. One example was my mother. Uh, I shared the gospel of Christ with her after I had become a Christian, thinking she had never heard the gospel before. You know, she grew up in Japan. 
And I shared the gospel with her, the brief four spiritual laws. And she kind of looked at me puzzled. And I said, did you understand it? And she said, well, you can't expect anyone to receive Christ from this short little presentation. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you got to go all the way back to creation. And she went all the way to Genesis and walked me right through the Bible. And when she was done, I was stunned. And I said, well, where did you ever hear this? And she said, well, right after the war, there were missionaries who came and they taught us English. And one of the texts that we use for our English translation was, of course, the Bible. And I translated large portions of the Bible from English into Japanese. That's how I learned English. And so much to my surprise, my mother knew the message not only of the gospel, but of the entire Bible. So you don't know, perhaps somewhere in their lifetime, your loved one may have heard the gospel. And maybe in those last moments, they may have cried out to Jesus. We do not know the ultimate fate of those who have died. Perhaps they did receive Christ at those last moments. But there are those who say, no, I am certain that my family members or my friends did not know Jesus. And if they're in hell, I don't want to be in heaven. I'd rather be in hell with them. Well, what do we say in those situations? Well, here's what I say, and I hope this helps you in those situations. The person you remembered here on earth is not the same person that's there in hell. In hell, they're fully separated from God, separated from truth and love and all that life was ever meant to be. And having fulfilled all of their selfish, sinful desires, that's where they are. And they're not the same person that you knew here upon the earth. You know, I knew a friend in high school. We were great buddies, and he was one of the funnest guys that I've ever met. He was a believer in the Lord, and we were Christians. And, and one of the things that attracted me to him is that I thought Christians were all boring and stale. But he was a guy. He was just a fun, radical. We did crazy things together, and we had a great time. Well, you know, we both went our ways in our career. He got married. He went off to be a missionary in Japan and eventually fell into sin, left his wife and children, and I hadn't seen him for many years. I tried to contact him, but he stated clearly he didn't want to see me. Well, I met him several years later, and the guy I knew in high school was not the same guy I'd met. In fact, I didn't like being around this new guy, just consumed in selfishness and sin. I just didn't like being around him anymore. And in hell, where they have fulfilled their selfish desires, they're dominated by sin, they're separated from the love of God. It's not the same person that you knew here on earth. You're not going to be there partying in hell together like you were here on this earth. And also Luke 16, remember the rich man and Lazarus? The desire of the rich man was what? He desperately wanted to go back and tell his brothers, do not come here. If your friend is truly a friend, he would not want you there in hell as well. You know, I had a uncle who died of lung cancer because he smoked so much. And what did he want for his sons and his friends? Did he want them to smoke as well so they'll get cancer just like he did? No, he kept telling them, don't make the mistake I made. Don't smoke. You don't want to be in a situation that I found myself in at the end of life. And that's what your friends in hell would be saying to you. And finally, we can't do anything about the past. But what about the future? What about the future generations to come? Your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, and your friends who are still alive. Why don't you be the first one to receive the gift of eternal life and in heaven and set the path for them, for them to follow you, that they may join you in heaven, a place of eternal joy and in the presence of God. You can't do anything about the past or what has happened. In fact, you don't even know what happened to your friends. They may have called out to Jesus at the last moment. You just don't know. 
But what about the future generations and things you can make a difference of? You receive Christ now. That sets the path for those who will follow you to have eternal life with God forever in heaven. Isn't that a much better future that you can have a part of? And those are some answers that I give that have been meaningful to those who are really struggling with this issue of their loved ones who did not receive the Lord or they think did not receive the Lord. I hope those are some answers that can help you when you find yourselves in those particular situations facing those very difficult and emotionally tough questions. Those are some questions on soteriology or salvation that Christians ask. And I hope you'll join me again here on Evidence and Answers as we answer more questions regarding our salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We have run out of time for today, but we hope you enjoyed Pat's show. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time right here on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers.